found in Luke's gospel, in chapter 5, he forgives a sinner, chapter 7, he loves a sinner, in 15, he receives sinners, that is, he, he, this man receiveth sinners and eateth with him, he's the friend of sinners, and then in chapter 18, he justifies the sinner, in chapter 19, he seeks the sinner, and in chapter 14, you have the heart of God, saying to the servant, go into the highways and byways, and urge them to come in that the feast might be furnished with guests. And you'll notice that the Lord always uses the same manner of resurrection. He just speaks the word. As John chapter 5 informs us, the day is going to come when all who were in their graves shall hear the voice of the Son of God and shall come forth. In other words, God is going to raise people from the dead. He's just going to speak the word and the dead are going to be raised. So when he comes into Luke's gospel, he gives to us his authority over death. And so one of us thinks, you know, that our Savior not only can forgive men of their sins, but he can free them from the power of death. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell, a man who was faithful in teaching the Word of God for more than 60 years throughout the Northwest. The name of our study, The Unchanging Word, highlights the fact that God's Word has not changed. What God reveals in His written Word was true in the past, is still true today, and will be true tomorrow. The truth in God's Word was, is, and always will be true. God never changes. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Bible broadcast as we commence a journey through the Gospel of Luke with our teacher, Dr. John G. Mitchell, he will be finishing up his overview of this gospel. Now, his aim is for us to fall in love with our Savior, Jesus Christ. Our Lord is presented in this gospel as the lovely one who is precious and chosen in the sight of God, his Father. Dr. Mitchell will bring out the fact that from all the gospels, we see Jesus raising three people from the dead now, two of those three are found here in the Gospel of Luke, and the other one is in John. Now, Jesus demonstrates his power over death, even before his own resurrection from the dead. Well, let's join our teacher, Dr. Mitchell, here on the Unchanging Word Bible broadcast to finish up this overview of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. We continue our studies in the Gospel through Luke, or maybe I should say, to be a little more correct in my statement, uh, discussing the overall look of this gospel through Luke, which is so different to the other three gospels. And for those of you who have just tuned in for the first time, may I say we're going to take up a study of the gospel through Luke, and we are praying that the Lord will take these simple studies and make them so precious to you that you will fall in love with the Savior, that if you're not a Christian, you'll find one, Jesus Christ, who is able to satisfy the very longings of your heart, take away the guilt and penalty of sin, cleanse you from all unrighteousness, and fit you for the presence of God. Wonderful, wonderful gospel. 
and we were giving you a little over uh, view of the whole gospel. And we were saying this, and I don't mind repeating it. We were saying that the Lord Jesus Christ came into the human race as a man in the midst of men, and he came for the purpose of delivering men from sin and its bondage, from death and its terror, and from hell and its fear. You see, he found the human race under this threefold bondage, just like today, just like today. Men today on the earth, same human race into which our Lord came, we find men under the bondage of sin, of death, and of hell. So we found in Luke's gospel, in chapter 5, he forgives a sinner. In chapter 7, he loves a sinner. In 15, he receives sinners. That is, he, he, this man receives sinners and eateth with him. He's the friend of sinners. And then in chapter 18, he justifies the sinner. In chapter 19, he seeks the sinner. And in chapter 14, you have the heart of God saying to the servant, go into the highways and byways and urge them to come in that the feast might be furnished with guests. Now, the second thing I want you to mark, and these are just a little thought through the whole gospel. We'll be taking it up in detail, of course, as we go along. But I just want to talk to you these days, first of all, to get a, uh, a real view of what this gospel through Luke is so your own heart will rejoice with me and we may indeed fall in love with Christ more than ever before. Now, he's the great deliverer from death. You remember there are three cases in the New Testament where the Lord Jesus delivered uh, people from death. You have the widow's son, you have the daughter of Jairus, and you have a man by the name of Lazarus uh, who was also raised from the dead. Our Lord just raised, as far as we know, three from the dead. In, in Luke's Gospel, uh, chapter, chapter 7, he raised the widow's son. You remember, there were two companies. One is coming out of the town of Nain. They're going to bury a widow. is going to bury her own son, her own only son. There's another group going toward the city of the Lord and his disciples and a crowd with them. And the two companies met and Jesus stopped the funeral procession and raised the boy from the dead and delivered him back to his mother. And then when you come into chapter 8, you find the second one. And here you have the daughter of the uh, ruler of the synagogue, a man by the name of Jairus. And our Lord raises this girl from the dead, a girl 12 years of age, the apple of her father's eye. And he raised her from the dead. Now, I mentioned the other one. The other one is in John's Gospel, chapter 11. Now, Matthew and Mark give to us the story of Jairus. And Luke is the only one who gives us the story of the widow's son, as well as the daughter of Jairus. John gives us just the one concerning Lazarus. Uh, here you have a girl, 12 years of age. She had just died, raised from the dead. Here's a boy already on the way to the tomb, and the Lord raises him. And in John chapter 11, you have Lazarus, a man who's four days in corruption, and the Lord raises him from the dead. And you'll notice that the Lord always uses the same uh, manner of resurrection. He just speaks the word. As John chapter 5 informs us, the day is going to come when all who were in their graves shall hear the voice of the Son of God and shall come forth. In other words, 
God is going to raise people from the dead. He's just going to speak the word, and the dead are going to be raised. So when he comes in Luke's gospel, he gives to us his authority over death. And so wonderful things you know that our Savior not only can forgive men of their sins, but he can free them from the power of death. Now, if I were following that through, I would suggest Hebrews chapter 2, 14 and 15, where we read that our Lord became a man. For what purpose? That he might deliver us, who through fear of death were all our lifetime subject to bondage. And through his death, he overcame him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver us, who through fear of death were all our lifetime subject to bondage. We have it also in Revelation chapter 1, at the end of verse 17, into verse 18, where we read, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I hold on my girdle. The key is the authority of death and of hell. Now Luke gives us to us. He found the human race under the authority and bondage of death. My friend, let me tell you this. Death is already a defeated foe. For those of us who are Christians, when we accept the Savior, we receive eternal life. It doesn't mean we're going to receive eternal life. We already have eternal life. I may say good night, earth, and good morning, glory. I may leave my body, the house in which I live, but this man who lives in the body lives forever. You see, friend, Jesus Christ taught immortality, and Jesus Christ has guaranteed resurrection and life eternal. Now, the third thing he found and this I want you to mark. He found man under the bondage of hell. Now what is Jesus Christ going to do with a human race that's under the bondage of death and hell? Now when you come to Luke's gospel, it's full of our Lord manifesting his authority over the forces of darkness. In fact, the very first miracle in the book of Luke, the gospel through Luke, is the casting out of demons, which you find, you remember, in chapter in chapter 4, very first miracle. In chapter 4, you found a man in the synagogue, demon-possessed, and so on. Now, the first miracle in Matthew is the cleansing of a leper, and rightly so, because Jesus said to the cleansed leper, you go and show yourself to the priest. Messiah's here. When Messiah comes, he's going to manifest himself by what? Cleansing lepers. And by casting out demons, but cleansing lepers. So the first miracle of Matthew is the cleansing of a leper. Now the first miracle of Mark is the casting out of demons in the first chapter. First miracle of John is the turning of water into wine. Of course, he's the creator. So you have in, Luke, in John's gospel three, three testimonies to his power as creator. He turned water into wine. He fed 5,000 on five loaves and two fishes. And then he stilled the storm. That's the act of a creator. But when you come to Luke's gospel, the very first thing he did when he came into his ministry, he found men under the authority of hell. And where did he find it? Right in the synagogue, right in the church. And you'll notice as you go through the gospel through Luke, 
that there's no question in hell who Jesus is. I want you to think about this for a moment. You ever stop to think of it? There's no question in heaven who Jesus is. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, the angels said to the shepherds, Unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Angels know who Jesus is. Demons know who Jesus is. Listen to it. I know who you are. I'm reading from chapter 4. Let us alone. What are we to do with thee, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You are the Holy One of God. Think of a demon calling Jesus of Nazareth the Holy One of God. You take verse 41. You find there, And devils also came out of many, crying out and saying, Thou art Christ, the Son of God. Thou art Christ, the Son of God. I know who you are. You're the one who's my judge. You're the Son of God Most High. When you come, for example, to chapter 8, where you have the Gadarene demoniac, you remember Jesus met him? man was in the tombs. He was naked. They tried every way possible to hold this man down. They chained him. They roped him. But he just broke the fetters and he fled into the wilderness. And he met Jesus. He met Jesus. And he said to Jesus, I know who you are. I know who you are. What have I to do with you, Jesus, thou Son of God most high? I beseech thee, torment me not. See, they asked, he asked the Lord Jesus to let them go into the swine. Don't command us to go into the abyss. I'm telling you, my friend, and I'm very serious when I tell you this, that demons know not only who Jesus is, that he's the Son of the Most High God, the Son of El Elyon, the very first revelation of God to Abraham in Genesis chapter 14, when Melchizedek gave to Abraham the revelation that his God was El Elyon, the Most High God. Here the demons say to Jesus, you're the Son of the Most High God. Not only so, but you are our judge. You remember in Second Peter chapter 2, I think it's about the fourth verse, if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to Tartarus, reserving them for judgment. And these demons asked Jesus, don't send us down there. Let us go into the, into the herd of swine. One could go on through the whole book of Luke. Do you ever stop to think of it? Even when our Lord came down from the Mount of Transfiguration in chapter 9, what's he do? He's met with a man whose son is demon-possessed. The disciples couldn't cast them out. Jesus did. He just speaks the word, and it's done. What I'm trying to get to you, my friend, is not only is Jesus Christ the sinner's Savior, he's the only one who can deliver you from the guilt and penalty and power and bondage of sin. But he's the only one who can deliver you from the forces of hell. 
And you can say what you want to, my friend, but Jesus said three times in the Gospel through John, chapters 12, 14, and 16, that Satan was the prince of this world. Or as Ephesians chapter 2 says, he's the spirit that energizes the unsaved, the children of disobedience. Jesus is the only one who can deliver you from the powers of hell. This is what he did when he walked among men. Just think of finding them where? In the synagogue. Could I just go on and say this? They not only knew Jesus Christ as the Son of the Most High God and as their judge, but they also knew their destination. They know that, and they know who's going to send them there. You know, the most startling thing to me is this, and I say it very frankly, I say it kindly. The only place in God's universe where there is any question mark about the person of Jesus of Nazareth is here on this earth in the human race. Just as they questioned Jesus as he walked among men, men question him today. In fact, for one to believe the Bible and to believe in Jesus Christ, you looked upon as an odd genius. Yet I want to say dogmatically that no one will ever deliver you from sin and its bondage and its penalty, nor deliver you from the powers of death nor the powers of darkness, except Jesus Christ, the Son of God. I say it again with a great deal of sadness. There is no question in heaven who Jesus is. Angels said he's the Christ, the Son of God. No question in hell. Demons say he's the Son of the Most High. He's the Son of God. He's the Christ of God. And yet I find, if I may quote from Thessalonians chapter 4, we are not like those who have no hope those who deny the deity, the saviorhood of our precious Savior. If I'm talking to any of you who are listening in today, my friend, you have any question mark about the Son of God, you remember this, will you? There's no question in heaven or hell who Jesus is. It could be in your heart. Why not turn to him? Why not be realistic? God will meet your need. We're not afraid of that. If you mean business with God, God means business with you. And he sent his son, not only for the revelation of his character and his heart to you. As Jesus said, he that has seen me has seen the Father. But he came for the purpose, the express purpose in Luke's gospel, to deliver men from sin. It's bondage, it's fear, it's penalty but also to deliver men from death, the power of death, fear of death, from the powers of hell. Now let me say also just one further thing in my introduction to this gospel through Luke. Luke is the great gospel that deals with prayer. I should call it, it's the gospel of prayer. Remember, our Lord prayed when he's being baptized by John in Jordan. In chapter 5, he went on to the desert what for? To pray. Chapter 6, he went on the mountain to pray. Chapter 9, verse 18, he went out to pray when they were alone. He was alone 
praying. On the Mount of Transfiguration, he is transfigured before his disciples. What's he doing? He was praying. As he prayed, he was transfigured. In the Garden of Gethsemane in chapter 22, prayed. Even on the cross, he could say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. In fact, the very first chapter of Luke starts with Zacharias and the multitude praying. It's the gospel of prayer. Here you have the great parables of prayer. For example, in chapter 11, a man came on his journey and he was hungry. His friend says, I've got no bread, but I go down to my neighbor. I know him. He's got plenty of bread. And you remember how he knocked on the door and said, lend me three loaves. And he's going to give it to him because of his importunity. So you have here this question of the great parable of prayer. You have it in chapter 18. Men ought always to pray and not to faint. It's easier to faint than it is to really pray. And he tells the story of the unjust judge and the widow. And then, of course, in chapter 18, you have the parable uh, of the Pharisee and of the publican. So what I want to get to your heart, this gospel starts with people praying and we find at the end with our Lord on the cross, our Lord praying, Father, forgive them. And may I suggest also, it's the gospel of the Son of Man. It's mentioned about 25 times in the gospel. He's the Son of Man. And it's true, he's also called the Son of Mary. He's called the Son of Man. He's called the Son of God. He's called the Son of the Highest. And I just pray that as you read and reread this wonderful gospel of our Savior as a Son of Man, you really fall in love with him. You know, I'll say this very frankly, and, I, and I'm sure when I'm saying this, you'll understand it. I wish indeed that we Christians, and I'm speaking now to those of us who claim to believe and to love the Savior, I, I believe there's a tremendous need today among us Christians to manifest something of the compassion and tenderness that our Lord had for people. You know, and I say this too, maybe I shouldn't say it, but I'm going to say it, even well-meaning Christians, well-meaning Christians oftentimes can be really cruel in what they say and what they do and be well-meaning in doing it, not realizing the hurt, the damage they can do to others. Oh, that's something of the tenderness and the love and the compassion of the Savior will flood your heart and my heart. So I just pray that as we, as we read this gospel through, we'll be able to say with a centurion, truly, this was a righteous man. Ah, the friend of publicans and sinners, the one who forgives us, the one who loves us, and the one who is sufficient to meet our every need. Now please read and reread this gospel through Luke. And may the Lord grant to you and to me as we think about our Savior in this gospel, we shall really be filled with something of the same blessed spirit, the same compassion, the same tenderness, the same love that he demonstrated toward men. How did God manifest himself in the midst of men? You read the Gospels through Luke. God's man in the midst of men.
Thank you for listening to the Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study today. The Unchanging Word is dependent on the support of our listeners. You can write us at The Unchanging Word, P.O. Box 398, Dallas, Oregon, 97338. And so until next time, this is the Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study. Life begins at Calvary.